Today's episode is brought to you by Vincero. Hey, 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 brother. That's what you sound like, Ben. That was way too long. I don't sound like that. <laughs> Guys, welcome to part two of Dumbledore's big plan, the Chamber of Secrets. If you haven't seen part one yet, I recommend you go ahead and check that out, but otherwise, Welcome back. Chamber of Secrets is a much trickier year for Dumbledore's big plan because unlike Harry's first year where Dumbledore pretty much set up the entire thing, he's having to react to a constantly developing situation in the Chamber of Secrets. Because as interfering as Dumbledore is and as much danger as he was willing to put Harry in in the first book, I do not think he is willing to subject the rest of the school to the Chamber of Secrets just so Harry can have a crack at what whatever's inside there. For one, Dumbledore was actually around the last time the chamber was opened where somebody died, moaning Myrtle. So if he wanted it open, he would actively be risking the life of everybody at the school. And one thing I know about Dumbledore, Harry Potter aside, is that he is not willing to put the rest of the students at risk. Like if we fast forward to Order of the Phoenix, Dumbledore allows Umbridge to reign her terror over the school until the moment she tries to physically harm one of the students. In that case, it is Marietta Edgecombe, Cho Chang's friend, who rats out the DA to Umbridge. This scene happens in Dumbledore's office where he is sitting idly by as the accusation occurs, until Umbridge puts her hands on Marietta, at which point he is on his feet, wand out, temper flared. He is definitely not okay with harm coming to his students. Lest they're hairy, but hey, what are Phoenix tears even for, am I right? And while Dumbledore is typically all-knowing about what's happening in the school, this is the first time he realizes Voldemort is using a Horcrux, but he doesn't actually even realize that until the very end of the book. And finally, he seems to genuinely not know the monster is a basilisk. Because if he did, certainly he could have at least offered up precautions against it, like using mirrors or you know, probably sending the kids home. That's probably what he should have done. That, to me, feels like a reasonable precaution when instant death might be lurking around literally any corner. But again, he didn't realize it was a basilisk, so petrification, <laughs> whatever. We have mandrakes for that. The real person to be suspicious of is Professor Sprout. How did she know they were going to need mandrakes that year? Hmm, 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 coincidence? Sounds like it. They probably have them every year, I don't know. That said though, once the chamber is open, we know that Dumbledore knows that Voldemort is behind it, even if he doesn't know how. In the hospital wing, after Harry is hit with the rogue bludger, he overhears Dumbledore saying, The question is not who, said Dumbledore, his eyes on Colin. The question is how. And if you'll recall from the last video, I think Dumbledore adopts the same attitude towards Harry investigating the problem as he did in Philosopher's Stone. Again, the line is, I don't think it was an accident he let me find out how the mirror worked. It's almost like he thought I had the right to face Voldemort if I could. So again, I don't think the opening of the Chamber of Secrets was part of Dumbledore's big plan at all, or even something he could have predicted. But once it was open, I think in the course of his own investigation, he was happy to let Harry investigate it as well, and even nudge him along if he could. But don't worry, Chamber of Secrets or not, Dumbledore definitely had his own agenda for Harry that year, some of which I dare say were <laughs> pretty obvious. Let's do this. Hey, brother! Guys, before we dive on in, I'd love to give a huge thanks to today's sponsor, Vincero. 
Vincero makes incredible watches and they have been a big supporter of the Super Carlin Brothers channel for a long time. Today, I am excited to show off their latest release, the Apex. I am loving this watch. The build is spectacular and it just has that weight about it that feels like quality. Is that a thing? It feels like it should be a thing. It has good weight. It was designed and inspired by modern luxury sports cars with bold colors, sleek curves, and an aggressive design. But as ever, my favorite part about Vincero is the outstanding quality versus the price. They look and feel and weigh just right. On a budget, that is too. Plus, they have a great selection of men's and women's wristwear and sunglasses, which personally I love. They're so comfy and yes, the right weight. If you'd like to get 15% off your entire order, you can do so by heading over to vincerawatches.com SCB. Again, that is 15% off your entire order. Head to vincerawatches.com SCB. Link is in the description down below. So, similar to Philosopher's Stone, I think Dumbledore had three main goals for Harry to accomplish in year two, one of which really only comes into play after the chamber was open. That one was kind of a happy accident. Well, except for all the petrifications. Maybe a blessing in disguise? No, that doesn't feel right. Anyway, here are his goals for Harry. First is to keep his ego in check. Second is to teach him the disarming spell, which goes on to be his signature spell. And third, and this is the one that ends up being a silver lining. Ooh, yes, silver lining, that's it. Is to test Harry's loyalty to Dumbledore himself. So let's start with keeping Harry's ego in check because this is the most glaring and obvious one on the list. And it pretty much boils down to one thing, the hiring of Gilderoy Lockhart. Pretty obvious. Man. We need we need shirts that say pretty obvious. Pretty obvious. How do we not have that? We do need shirts. Someone, can someone? Pretty. Does someone want to design that? Obvious. Tweet me. For Dumbledore, keeping Harry humble and modest is of the utmost importance. Because Dumbledore knows from personal experience that arrogance can lead down a dark and dangerous road. He tells Harry in Deathly Hallows, It is a curious thing, Harry, but perhaps those who are best suited to power are those who have never sought it. Those who, like you, have leadership thrust upon them and take up the mantle because they must, and find to their own surprise that they wear it well. In that moment, Dumbledore is comparing Harry to himself at the same age, where instead of selflessly caring for his siblings after the death of their mother, he is plotting world domination and lusting after Grindelwald with the Deathly Hallows. Or wait, sorry, flip that. Lusting after the Deathly Hallows with Grindelwald. You know what, it works either way. Which, of course, ends in the unfortunate and untimely death of his sister. It's like a, it's like a really... Really bad two months for Dumbledore. But in his wisdom as an old, now dead man, he realizes that he arrived at that state having graduated Hogwarts as one of the most brilliant students ever, collecting trophies, being in touch with the most notable magical names of the day, and being pretty much adored since the moment he set foot in the school. And as such, it is immensely important from his perspective that Harry never have a big head about anything. And heading into his second year, Dumbledore would have a lot to contend with on this front. For one, Harry had a really good first year, popularity-wise. He saved the Philosopher's Stone, he defeated Voldemort, 
again. He was the youngest Quidditch player in a century and helped Gryffindor win the House Cup for the first time in at least six years. Plus, he's the son of James Potter, who was a notoriously popular and arrogant student. And as far as Dumbledore is concerned, this was supposed to be a pretty regular school year, so it might have been pretty easy for Harry to slip into a similar role as his father if it went unchecked. Especially when he starts the year by flying a car and crashing into a tree on the cool grounds, which I think we can all agree, pretty awesome. <laughs> Dumbledore's solution though? Hire Gilderoy Lockhart, a walking billboard of what Harry could become if he lets his ego inflate too much. Let me introduce you to your new defense against the dark arts teacher. Me. Because honestly, why else would you hire this guy? Hardly any of you remember that my favorite color is lilac. Dumbledore even says at the end of the book, after Lockhart obliterates his own memory, Dear me, said Dumbledore, shaking his head, his long silver mustache quivering, impaled upon your own sword, Gilderoy. Meaning he has known the entire time exactly what Lockhart was doing and that he is completely inept. Pesky pixie pestanobi! <laughs> But if he knows that from the outset, then isn't it kind of irresponsible to have him teach all of your students for an entire year? Yes, it is very irresponsible. But of course you have to remember, Dumbledore's main goal is to defeat Voldemort and teaching Harry this lesson is much more vital. Like I said, he's not okay putting his students in danger, but he is certainly okay with them sitting through ineptitude. And besides, he doesn't let Harry go entirely uneducated in defense against the dark arts that year. Which brings me to point number two, teaching him Expelliarmus. Tom riddle me this. In what world would Severus Snape agree to be the assistant to Gilderoy Lockhart in a dueling club? You are correct. It would nope, not, nope, definitely would not, don't, not, never happen. I don't know how many negatives that was, but for clarity, he wouldn't do it. Unless, that is, it was actually part of Dumbledore's big plan to ensure that Harry got at least one decent Defense Against the Dark Arts lesson that year. The Dueling Club meets all of one time and never happens again, but Harry still manages to walk away with two vital skills. One, proper dueling etiquette, sort of, and two, how to use the disarming spell. Expelliarmus. And that is why Dumbledore makes Snape assist. I mean, he's basically the best duelist in the entire series, and so who better to teach Harry how to disarm? Plus, Expelliarmus ties in perfectly with Dumbledore's first goal to keep Harry modest. It is simultaneously offensive and defensive, it ends fights early, and prevents the need for further violence. And sure enough, it becomes Harry's signature spell, and is even the one he uses to eventually finish Voldemort off. But I think what is really important is that it stops the fight early and stops you from doing even more violence because Dumbledore is constantly raving about the power of Harry's whole soul compared to that of Voldemort's tattered one. Lord Voldemort's soul, maimed as it is, cannot bear close contact with a soul like Harry's, like a tongue on frozen steel, like flesh in flame. It is essential that Harry's soul remain whole, so it is also very important that Dumbledore teaches him how to win fights against possibly deadly opponents without having to ever kill them, which is what we know rips your soul. And we see this practiced restraint pay off 
a lot. He doesn't kill Sirius, who ends up being innocent. He doesn't kill Peter Pettigrew, who later spares Harry's own life. He does foolishly use it against Dan Shunpite and give away the fact that he is the real Harry in the Battle of Seven Potters, but in fairness, he does save Stan's life. I mean, come on, Harry, you had a golden opportunity here to stun Stan, and as he's falling down to Earth, just yell back at him, what you fell over for? Which brings us to the final goal of Dumbledore's big plan, ensuring that Harry is truly loyal to Dumbledore himself. Remember from the last video that in deciding to meddle in Harry's preparations to face Voldemort, Dumbledore is also then asserting that he knows how best to defeat Voldemort and that it is in Harry's best interest to listen to him at any cost, no matter what other information he may learn. And I think it's fair to say that at the beginning of Chamber of Secrets, this is not yet the case. Harry is not truly loyal to Dumbledore yet. Certainly he has been told Dumbledore is the greatest wizard alive and is probably grateful to him for saving his life and definitely respects him. But as of yet, I don't think he has a reason to be specifically loyal to Dumbledore. And we see a great example of this early on when he fails to tell Dumbledore about hearing the voices in the walls. Dumbledore asks, is there anything you'd like to tell me? Anything at all? Harry thought of the disembodied voice he had heard twice and remembered what Ron said. Hearing voices no one else can hear isn't a good sign, even in the wizarding world. No, said Harry. There isn't anything, Professor. And the fact that this exchange mirrors the conversation Dumbledore has with Tom Riddle 50 years earlier must have Dumbledore kind of shaking in his boots. Is there something you wish to tell me? No, sir. Nothing. Like, here's a young boy who has already proven he is very important to the wizarding community, but has also proven that he's very brave and bold and capable. Harry's lack of trust in telling Dumbledore the truth could be a very worrisome indicator that he has not yet decided what path he's going to go down. But Harry's loyalty to Dumbledore is crucial because again, Dumbledore is the only one who knows the prophecy and is therefore uniquely qualified to guide him down the correct path with no ulterior motive. And I think Dumbledore is wise enough to see points in the future where other influential wizards may try and sway Harry according to their own agenda. Like Rufus Scrimgeour when he tries to recruit Harry as a spokesperson for the ministry. Which again underlies the importance of humility as a more fame-hungry Harry may have enjoyed the attention of the Minister of Magic. Well, it's clear to me that he has done a very good job on you, says Scrumjar, his eyes cold and hard behind his wire-rimmed glasses. Dumbledore's man through and through, aren't you, Potter? Yeah, I am, said Harry. Glad we straightened that out. The moment Dumbledore puts his plan in motion to test Harry's loyalty to him is when Lucius Malfoy comes to the school to escort Dumbledore away. He says, you will find that I will only truly have left this school when none here are loyal to me. You will also find that help will always be given at Hogwarts to those who ask for it. For a second, Harry was almost sure Dumbledore's eyes flickered towards the corner where he and Ron stood hidden. This is what I meant earlier when I said Dumbledore is happy to allow Harry to also investigate the Chamber of Secrets. First of all, he obviously knows that Harry and Ron are in the cabin, even though they're underneath the invisibility cloak. And second, even though he's leaving the school, he seems to have a pretty good idea that Harry is on the case and offers him some potential help if he solves the entire mystery and then needs some assistance. And 
And in the end, we know that Harry does become very loyal and pledge his allegiance to Dumbledore because he's able to summon Fox in the Chamber of Secrets. The question though is how does Dumbledore earn his loyalty? And I think the answer is Hagrid. You wouldn't be talking about me now, would you? Dumbledore, of course, as we said earlier, knows for sure that Voldemort opened the chamber last time and that Hagrid was framed. And yet, despite pretty compelling evidence to the contrary, Dumbledore decides to trust Hagrid and keep him on as gamekeeper. A move that must have looked very sketchy to an outsider. Like, what do you think Myrtle's parents thought of that decision? But once Harry learns that Hagrid is indeed innocent, it must look to Harry like this was a true act of loyalty from Dumbledore towards Hagrid. Hagrid never opened the Chamber of Secrets. He was innocent. And that, in turn, is what makes Harry loyal to Dumbledore. And there you go, guys. That is part two of Dumbledore's big plan. Tune in next week for part three as we dive into the Prisoner of Azkaban. If you have any ideas that we missed or left out, be sure to leave them in the towel section down below. And guys, we had such a blast last week discussing this whole theory with you guys and so many more on our live stream that we thought, Let's do it again. So this Friday, May 1st at 6 p.m. Eastern time, we are once again going to go live on this channel and discuss everything to do with Dumbledore's big plan and the Prisoner of Azkaban chamber and beyond. Hope to see you there. Thanks so much for watching today's video. Please remember to leave a like on it if you haven't already and subscribe so you don't miss any future Harry Potter action from us. If you want to see part three of Dumbledore's big plan, you can check out this video right here unless it's in the first week after we made this video because we haven't shot that one yet. Sorry about that. But otherwise, thanks so much for watching. Ben, until next week, I will see you in another life, brother.